0: If you want to know what is really happening in the world today, you need to read the Parsha Hashavua, the weekly Torah reading. Join Rabbi Mendel Lipska for the next hour as he delves and enumerates the themes running through the weekly Torah Parsha, only on 101.9 High FM. And a wonderful air of Shabbos, a special air of Shabbos it is. It's the 15th of the month of Kislev. It's the full moon during the month of the miracle of light. The full moon of the moon shining, the light of the moon which produces the incredible light at night. When things look dark, when things look, well, unclear, we look to the moon for clarity. We look for the moon to grow, to develop, to bring that shining light into our lives. As we discussed in the last couple of weeks, the month of Kislev is the month of miracles, the month of light. We celebrate the festival of light. Very soon, well, around at the corner, 10 days time from now. We're going to celebrate Hanukkah, the festival of lights. Hanukkah is the time that we understand the value of light, how it brings clarity into situations. Otherwise, we simply see the facade, that which appears. When we want to understand the essence of something, we want to understand that which something truly is. We need light and a special light a particular type of light. And today being the fifteenth, the full moon, during the month of light, during the month of miracles, what a special time it is. And of course this week on Tuesday, we are going to celebrate the wonderful <coughs> excuse me, the wonderful festival of the nineteenth of Kislev, Yutes Kislev, when we celebrate the liberation from zaras prison of the first Lubavitch Rebbe, Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, the author of the Tanya and the Rav Shulchan Aruch. He was put into prison on trumped-up charges of treason and other such nonsense. He was supporting Israel. He was supporting the small Jewish community in Israel at the time. And his opponent said, well, he was supporting the enemies of the Tsar who lived in the Middle East. It was a very difficult time for the first Rebbe and his Hasidim, in fact, for so many Jews within Russia. Miraculously, all these charges were proved to be, well, empty and foolish on the 19th of Kislev. It was ruled, the verdict was ruled that he was a free man. And that became the Chag Hageula, the festival of liberation of Hasidim. In actual fact, it's known as the Rosh Hashanah of Hasidut. It became the New Year of Hasidut. And what is Hasidut really all about? When you study Tanya, what do you realize? You realize that this is the Pnei Shebet Torah, the inner dimension of Torah. And as the Zohar tells us, it's the Maor, it's the luminary, it's the light. It shines a light into Torah. It gives us insight. It gives us clarity. It gives us an awareness of what the richness of Torah is really all about. Our sages tell us, our Kabbalistic sages tell us, that the gematria, the numerical value of the word raz, and or, raz means secret, and or means light, is the same. Because when you want to know the secret of something, you have to have a light that shines upon that particular situation. This is what Hasidut, is all about. For those of you who've had the opportunity, the privilege indeed, the privilege to study some chasidut you will very quickly realize that it gives tremendous insight, wealth, richness, a tremendous awareness of the beauty of the inner dimensions of Torah. Not only of Torah, but how Torah applies to one's life. It gives us insight into ourselves, the relationship of mind and heart, the inner construction, the spiritual construction of the inner person, how we relate to Hashem, what faith is all about, what trust is all about, how we connect the power of Torah, the wisdom of God, the power of prayer, that ladder which allows us to connect to elevate ourselves through proper preparation to the divine levels. This is what Hasidut is all about. And if any one of you has studied Tanya, it gives us tremendous insight into what the human being is all about and his incredible relationship with God is all about. As the great masters of Chabad Hasidut taught us, what is... human being. What has Hasidut taught us? It tells us how on the one hand, how small the human being is, how small the person is, and how great he can become, how high he can rise, how enlightened he can actually become. And this is why the 19th of Kislev this Tuesday is a day of great celebration. God forbid if the opponent's of the first Rebbe of the Altarebbe of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi would have been successful, all that light, all that teaching would have been lost. There was a tremendous attack upon his teaching, a tremendous attack upon his person. It came about as a result of, well, selfishness. It came about as a result of jealousy and greed. And yet the Altarebbe who was in jail for 53 days persevered and he was put through tremendous interrogation which he stood up to with eloquence with greatness with grace with incredible genius and insight answering all the questions that the interrogators and prosecutors asked and began to realize that in actual fact the raising of money for israel and his support for israel at that time was simply a huge expression of what the Jewish desire and connection with the Holy Land was all about at that time, it had nothing to do with anything treasonous, God forbid, against the czar or against the Russian authorities. It was a time of tremendous, tremendous miracle. Yutis Kislev, the 19th of Kislev, and this is why. It's a time of tremendous celebration. It's a time that for those of you who have studied Tanya or perhaps study it on a daily basis know that the Tanya is divided into portions for the entire year. We finish the Tanya on the 19th of Kislev. On the 20th, we begin anew. This is a time that a person dedicates and rededicates his life to the teachings of Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi, who brought to our minds and hearts the incredible genius of Hasidut, the incredible light that gives insight and strength and power to Torah, to Jew, and the relationship between the Jew and Hashem. And this is why the month of Kislev is such an important time, a time of miracles, a time of light, a time of intense joy. And we are privileged, we are privileged that we can take In all those things, through study, through awareness, through making our own lives a little bit better, by dedicating ourselves, by studying a bit more, by becoming better at what we could be and what we should be, more of that soon. This is the Parsha HaShavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. We're talking about the great celebration of Vites Kislev, the 19th of Kislev, but we mustn't forget the Parsha of the Week, Vayishlach, the great encounter between Yaakov and his brother Esau, who has vowed to kill him. What does Vayishlach mean? And he sent. Who sent? What did he send? From whom to whom? As I said before, the great encounter between Yaakov and Esau. Brothers who were twins, born twins, But because of their very different personalities, their very different views on life, their very different values in life, their very different understanding of what God wants in this world, their very different understanding of how this world has to function. Well, they lived very different lives. Yaakov was a man dedicated to the study of Torah. Jacob was a man dedicated to living a life that was based upon decency and goodness and morality and honesty. Esau was a man who had dedicated his life to power, to violence, to anything but the laws of Hashem. And Esau had vowed to kill his brother because he thought his brother had stolen the blessings from him. And Yaakov is now on his way home. He has worked at his uncle Lavan for 20 years. His wives, his magnificent family. He amassed a huge fortune. But he knows that before he can go home and reunite with his parents, Yitzchak and Rivka, Isaac and Rebecca, he has to encounter Esau along the way. And he's not sure what the intentions of is Esau still angry? Is Esau going to meet him as a brother with love, with affection? Or will Esau meet him as a person of violence dedicated to destroy him? And he sends messengers and he finds out that Esau is marching toward him with 400 armed men. An army, a powerful army with one motive, and that is to destroy Yaakov and his family. And our parsha opens up with the words, Vayishlach Yaakov Malachim Fanov, and Yaakov sends Malachim ahead of him to Esav, his brother, who lives in the land of Seir. This is a very critical and pivotal moment. Yaakov and Esav are going to meet once again, These two brothers, estranged brothers, who have lived apart for many, many years in concept, in attitude, and geographically as well. But this is a moment where they're going to meet and there's going to be some sort, some sort of reunification. Will it be gentle or will it be violent? And the Parsha opens up with the words, and Yaakov said... Malachim to Esau. Now Malachim can be translated in different ways. Malachim can be messengers. He sent emissaries to Esau with gifts, with messages of peace, ambassadors. Malachim can also be translated as angels, divine messengers. Rashi, who always, well, translates the words of Torah in its most literal sense. What does Rashi say? Rashi says, Vaishlach Yaakov Malachim, and Yaakov sent Malachim. Rashi tells us, were they emissaries? Were they ambassadors? Rashi tells us, Malachim Mamish. They were actual angels. And this boggles the mind. Aesop is not a man who relates very well to angels. Aesop is a man of physical might and power. Asaph is a man who respects power. Asaph is a man who respects strength. He respects wealth. He respects physical might and power. Why would Yaakov want to send angels as his emissaries, as his messengers and ambassadors to Asaph, to provoke him? Yaakov doesn't want to provoke Asaph. Yaakov wants to appease Asaph. Yaakov wants to have a friendly encounter with Aesov. Why then would he send angels, knowing full well that Aesop is not the sort of person who respects or in fact even wants to deal with angels? And what does he tell the angels to pass on to Aesov? He says, Tell them, so speaks your servant Yaakov, Imlovan Garti ba Translated simply, I have lived with Lovan, and I have taken all this time before I'm able to return. And again Rashi comes and tells us something which boggles the mind. In Lovan Garti, I have lived with Lovan. What does it mean I have lived with Lovan? Taryag, Mitzvot, Shamarti, and I fulfilled the 613 commandments while I lived with Lovan. Lavan was, well, a dishonest human being. Lavan was a person dedicated to idolatry. Lavan was not a moral human being. Lavan was an individual who was sly, dishonest. Why is Yaakov telling Esau that despite the fact that he lived in a society headed by someone like Lavan, who was not, who was not given... To morality and ethical behavior. Why does he want Aesop to know that despite the fact that he lived there for so many years, he still fulfilled the 613 commandments. Would Aesop be impressed with something like that? Obviously not. Aesop is not someone who respects the 613 commandments. He is not someone who respects the fact that these are the laws of Hashem. He has his own system of laws based upon physical might and power. What is this really all about? As we take a look at the story, and the story develops, yes, Aesop is on his way to destroy Yaakov. But as they approach each other, Aesop is overcome with a tremendous sense of brotherly love, and Esau recognizes something in Yaakov that he can use to his benefit. And he says to Yaakov, and I'm well, rushing through it a bit. He says to Yaakov, Yaakov, I have a great plan. Why don't we form a partnership, you and I? You have your views of the world. I have my views of the world. You're a man of ethical behavior and religion. I'm a man of physical might and power. I believe in armies. I believe in physical strength. Why don't we form a partnership? You will run the religious affairs of that society, and I will run the material and physical affairs. You take care of the religion and spiritual activities. I will take care of the rest. And the words they use, interesting. Asaph says, come, let's travel together. Let's take the journey of life together. You know, you and I, we can control the whole world. Everybody would fall at our feet. They would see you as a religious person for those people so inclined. And they would see me with my armies, with my might, with my power. And they would, in fact, have the necessary respect. Together, we could control the world. And Yakov says, no. My children are too weak to travel with you. We have to travel at a different pace altogether. You have much wealth. You have much power. But I have everything. What is Yaakov saying to to Asaph? I have everything? Yaakov was a very wealthy man at this point. But not nearly as wealthy as Asaph. At this point, Asaph owned, well, empire, countries. He was an incredibly wealthy man. Jacob is telling Ace of something entirely different. He says, Ace you and I could never form a partnership. Because to me, religion is not some detail, some area of life within a larger structure. To me, faith, to me, the laws of Hashem is what life is all about. There's no difference between the material and spiritual. It's not that there is the might and power and wealth and physical, and then there's an area called the religious and the spiritual. To me, it's all the same. Everything about life is governed by the laws of Hashem. Everything about life is determined by what Hashem says. And therefore, I could never form a partnership with you. Because to me, the entirety of life... The entirety of life is represented by that which I believe in and which I stand for. And it's not two separate worlds. It's not two separate ideas working hand in hand. That's not the way it works. It's one value system, and everything fits in perfectly. And therefore, Asif, you go your way, and I'll go my way. And perhaps one day you'll begin to recognize and realize that what I stand for, you'll learn to respect. And this is why from the word go, what does he send? He sends him angels. Because Yaakov knows that Aesop is going to offer him this type of deal, this type of partnership. Yaakov tells him, I'm sending you angels, understand my life. Now, Esau is familiar with angels, after all. He grew up in the house of Isaac and Rebecca. He knows what angels are all about. He disregards them, he rejects them, but he knows them. What Yaakov is saying is, Esau, this is my environment. This is what I relate to. This is what I believe in, this is what I stand for, this is my world. It's not a part of my world, it's the entirety of my world. He says, listen tell him that I lived with Lavan for 20 odd years. And I was in a society that was corrupt and unethical and immoral, but I retained my faith 613 commandments. I was not influenced by that way of life. I was not influenced by that behavior. I didn't allow that type of society, to corrode that which I stand for, and that which I believe in. so you can't impress me with your wealth, with your power, with your ideas. It won't work. And therefore, so don't even try to offer me some sort of partnership in your world, because I don't want a partnership with that world. I want an entirety. I want a world that respects The word Hashem, I want a world that respects the law of Hashem in every single area. Not only the spiritual, but the physical as well. And this is why I know full well, even in the house of Laman, I fulfill the law of Hashem. This is the powerful, subtle message that Yaakov is sending to Esau, telling him, I don't believe in two worlds. I believe in a world where everything is governed by the laws of Hashem and the Torah of Hashem. More of that soon. This is the Parsha HaShavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. We're talking about the incredible relationship with Yaakov and Esau, where although Esau offers this deal to Yaakov, Yaakov refuses, because Yaakov... Tells Asa, we are very different people. We can never have a partnership. Our views of the world are very different. I believe every single area of life is governed by God, and you believe that there is a small place within your world for matters religious. I believe the entire, the entire life, the entire world is governed by Hashem. Can we take a look at this incredible exchange? Between Jacob and Esau, and this gives us insight into well, the ongoing history of the Jewish people. The Jewish people have often been faced with this dilemma: do they form a partnership with the philosophy that says, you know, come and join us, and we will give you a place within the well, greater scheme of things of life, where you can exercise your religious beliefs within the borders. Of our political systems within our political value system. And the Jewish people have often, and I believe foolishly, accepted that type of thinking. And what happens after a while, the political system, that type of thinking overwhelms the Jewish religious dimension, and it falls apart. Jewish religious life is not a specific area. It is the totality of life. And this is something that we have to stand for. Is it? <clears throat> is it easy? Is it simple? No, it's not. It comes with tremendous challenges. And we are the witnesses to those challenges. We've gone through history. And we've gone through incredible exiles. We've gone through all sorts of challenges and difficulties where those who try to destroy that type of thinking The type of thinking of totality within Jewish life, time and again, from the right and from the left, there have been those philosophers and armies, strong men and thinking people who've tried to destroy that element of Jewish faith. Many times, many times they were successful in destroying many lives, but they haven't destroyed Jewish life. We survive. And within this parsha, we come across an incredible, well, people say an incredible side show, but it's not. And that's the death of Rachel along the way. They're on their way to Hebron to Kiryat Arba, where Yitzchak and Rivka live. But along the way, Rachel, well, gives birth to her second son, the last son of Yaakov, Benjamin, Benjamin. And in childbirth, Rachel passes on along the way in a place called Beis Bethlehem. And, well, one is saddened by that because she did not accompany Yaakov all the way to Hebron and wasn't ultimately buried in Meirat HaChabilah in, well, the cave of the patriarchs, the double cave. But in actual fact, when the Jewish people are led to exile at the time of destruction of the temple they stop at the tomb of rachel along the way and she is the one who appeals on high for mercy and compassion before the heavenly courts and she accomplishes that not the other matriarchs not the patriarchs not moses not aaron not anyone it is rachel who dies along the way what is that story really all about to remind us that even though the Jewish people suffer and continue to suffer sometimes in exile because of their incredible faith by not giving in to a partnership with other systems, but remaining loyal to the exclusivity of Jewish life governing every single area of life. We think to ourselves what will happen. We mustn't forget that the journey Though it might be difficult, it might be a journey that takes us into exile. Rachel is there, pleading on our behalf, asking God for mercy, and she accomplishes it. And here we are today, thousands of years later, talking about it, rejoicing, celebrating speaking about those values that are real, recounting the incredible exchange between Yaakov and Esau thousands of years ago, and understanding what in fact took place, and trying to apply it to our own lives today. And we connected with the story of the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, the founder of Chabad, who wrote the Tanya. Because he speaks to us in Tanya, about the body and the soul and so many Jewish thinkers saw the body and soul as two separate uniquely separate things and he said they might be separate but they are united both being part of God's creation and through the interaction with one and the other the soul has its part to play the body has its part to play this is the incredible majestic and miraculous unity of the human being, this is what makes the human being special. This beautiful, majestic and miraculous interaction of body and soul. This is where Aesop gets it wrong. This is where anyone who sees it as two separate things gets it wrong. This is the beauty of Parsha Yishlach, sending out angels, talking about the ability to fulfill 613 commandments, even in the house of Lavan. Understanding the relationship between body and soul, not as two separate things, but ultimately as one united entity. And this is why when you're in shul tomorrow, or even if you're at home reading the Torah, listen to the Torah, listen to the Parsha, listen to the conversation between Yaakov and Esau. Listen to the well, the wrestling match between Yaakov and the angel of Esau. Listen to the entire Parsha. There's so many wonderful insights. If you have a Tanya at home, pick it up and open it up and see if you can find something that talks to your heart, to your mind, to your soul. As I said so many times during this month, it's a month of miracles. It's a month of light. Every Parsha. Exposes more and more of these magnificent secrets of this incredible light. It's beautiful. Make it your own. Pachabas.